Welcome to this episode of Van Attorneys Legal Pad Podcast. This is a podcast by Van Attorneys PLLC, a law firm of attorneys licensed to practice law in the state of North Carolina. The content of this podcast is not to be considered as legal advice for any particular situation or case, and this podcast does not constitute creating an attorney-client relationship. Welcome to another session of Van Attorneys Legal Pad Podcast. Ian Richardson and myself, James Van, we are looking forward to our conversation today with you regarding the times they are changing. We're going to be talking about post-judgment collections, that is trying to collect judgments uh, once the court has issued that the judgment out, and, and more uh, specifically in the digital age, right? A lot of things are changing. Uh, today, we are sitting atop uh, our tower overlooking Hillsboro Street in our recording studio, and Ian, it's always fun to, to do these podcasts with you. Thank you so much for what you do to get us ready for these. It's um it's a fun thing to hang out with you. So we're gonna be talking about uh, again collecting judgments, um and then most importantly after the, as things have changed right about how people hold assets and so forth. So I'll get us started in. So what happens after you get a judgment right? I, I, in law school, I thought once you got a judgment, the other other side would look at you and go, "I'm sorry, and how much do I owe you?" And they'd write a check. <laughs> that would be nice. It'd save a lot of time. <laughs> it would. I don't, I'm trying to, I don't think I've ever had that happen. Um, I don't think, I don't remember it. Um, I've almost had it once recently, but uh, even that wasn't instantaneous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen that way, y'all. Um, generally, you have to go take the steps to collect it, right? Um, and we actually get hired by actually a lot of law firms and or other parties that once they've gotten the judgment, and they haven't been able to get it collected, they uh, will call us and, and ask us for help uh, on that. And, and I'll be, it's honest. I love it. It's fun. It's like a puzzle. It's, it's a little bit of a game, right? It's like playing checkers. I would say chess, but I grew up in Roxboro and I'm not sure how many people play chess from Roxboro, but I'm sure there are some, they're really smart, but I played checkers. Um, but you have to take the steps, right? And sometimes um, there's insurance available that once you get a judgment, they, the insurance companies are, they don't, again, they don't, ask you how much they owe you as you're walking out of the courthouse, but they will generally come to the table faster uh, once there is a judgment. Um, again, depending on the circumstances. Other times, you, uh, the debtor, you just got to uh, push them right. Um, sometimes the debtors uh, actually sort of had enough and uh, they don't want to go through the process anymore and they'll, they'll uh, have payment made right after the judgment. Um, generally, though, you have to collect uh, and you have to to go through the, the processes, right, uh, and chase the assets of the debtor um, and try to, uh, you have to put them in a corner, right? And some of them play the game really, really well. Others um, are not really tuned into it too much um, and are then surprised by when the deputy shows up uh, or when the deputy takes some action to freeze their, their accounts or their, their assets. So how do we do that, right? What, what kind of assets are available well, it really is anything of value, right? Um, I, and I think I've told this story, but I'm going to tell it again because it really makes, I think it makes sense. Um, we had a judgment one time on a bookstore. It was a large commercial bookstore. We, one of our clients had uh, helped improve um, uh, the facility. We had a judgment and we got a judgment on the bookstore, which was crazy because this is a big company and, and they just didn't, I, I think they just didn't think it was going to happen. And well, it did. Uh, and then they were just, they basically were trying to 
stub their nose at us and like you know you can't collect it so i told the deputy i was like here's what i want you to do uh when the execution when he went out with the execution i said i want you to go to the bookstore and find any book that you really want to read right and go ahead and get that while you're there but then i want you to go in the back and get the servers he's like huh i said i want you to take the server right don't take the computers up front take the server in the back he's like why i'm like if they take the server they can't operate right they can't do anything um so he did and about 20 minutes after he'd gotten there, I got a call from their corporate counsel around where it was from. And, you know, irate at me. Um, and I'm like, hey, look, you don't need to be irate at me. Um, Y'all ignored this. And the deputy is getting ready to take your server. So do you want to do this or not? And we had an agreement. And believe it or not, we got that thing paid like within a week. Um, so, again, it's, you know, I don't tell you that story for for gloating purposes, but it, you, you look for things of value. And I, I always say take things of leverage if you can. We had another deputy one time who, uh, that we have a, in Raleigh, uh, I don't think they're out elsewhere, but there's a little hot dog place called Snoopy's. And uh, this guy had bought, uh, bought a brand new pickup truck and it was lean free, had no lean on it. The deputy saw him. He'd been hiding from the deputy, but the deputy saw his car. He blocked him in at Snoopy's. And we had a tow truck show up because he was like, I'm not paying you, right? And we're like, that's fine. We're going to take the brand new pickup truck. I'll never forget. It was a Friday afternoon about 2 o'clock. And believe it or not, that guy actually forked over 100% of the judgment amount that day. Uh, got it taken care of. So you look for things that the leverage, right? You look for things of value. Uh, the easiest thing, obviously, to execute on is cash if you can find it. You know, times in the bank, right? It's something that you can you can easily grab. Um, automobiles, you know, uh, equipment, um, depending on what kind of company or individual, you know, you're going after, um, that kind of thing. Um, you look for something that you can seize that has some value that hopefully you can turn around and sell it. You know, any kind of equipment inventory certainly works at times. Um, again, if, if, if it's a business, depending on what kind of inventory they have. And, you know, one thing I have figured out and is you don't want to take something that you have to feed. Right. You don't want to take animals. Um, we have had occasional times to, to look at cattle and horses, but you got to feed them and you got to take care of them. Not something you want to take. Um, no. Not not something that you want to have to deal with uh, or they could bite you. Right. You don't want that either. <laughs> um, obviously, if you're looking for stocks, bonds, any kind of interest in a business. Uh, if the business is operating, uh, if it's a, it's a going concern, you can uh, look for things to levy there um you know and i tell you what's really interesting given that a lot of companies now have uh, their software or their even their hardware in the cloud right taking um servers in this just change right you don't do that as much um and i tell you what, we've had some debtors i've got one right now i'm chasing and and this guy's got a load of money in real estate he's got a big old house that i think is pretty much lean free, but he, he drives some really fancy cars. Guess what? All of the cars are leased. Well, there's really no value there. I could, I could take it. Right. And, but as soon as we take it, it the lease company is going to come around and take it back. They have a, a, high, a better interest in, in it than we do. So then, then help. But I mean, cause sometimes you'll see, you know, clients or calls go, well, that's so-and-so is driving, you know, a 2022 or 2021, you know, Jaguar. Well, yeah, but it's leased and they can do that, right? They're paying for it monthly. 
Um, but you want to look for stuff that you can take that you can hopefully turn around uh, and sell it um, to gain uh, your assets or to, to gain payment for your collection. In today's world, there are other assets um, that collections attorneys should be thinking about, and that's precious metals, cryptocurrency, things of that nature, right? Um, and also, there's an interest in a business, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But um, those are some ideas that, that we that obviously have come about more recently, right? Certainly with the cryptocurrency and metals and that kind of thing. Uh, so, Ian, how do you go about? How do you how do you find assets? What do you do there? Yeah. So, uh, and a lot of people are probably thinking, well, precious metals have been around for a long, long time. Why are we talking about that in the digital age? <laughs> and I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute. Uh, but the first thing we really do uh, whenever we're trying to locate assets is we'll ask the debtor, uh, we get a court order that orders the debtor to produce a whole bunch of documents to us. Uh, and some of the documents we look for are bank statements, credit card statements, or any investment account statements. And then what we have to do, uh, and there's not really a fast way to do it most of the time, we just have to go line by line to see where is this person's money from their bank account uh, where's it going? And every now and again, we'll realize, uh, well, there's uh, a payment over here to this place, and I've never heard of that before, and we'll type it into Google, and lo and behold, it's uh, one of these places that you buy precious metals from, or uh, maybe one of the different cryptocurrency exchanges will show some transactions out of a bank account into um, one of those exchanges. Um, and I think something that's interesting is, you know, when's the last time that you actually looked at a bank statement or a credit card statement? Mm -hmm. I think uh, a lot of people nowadays, they do a lot of online banking. They have an app. So uh, it's not like uh, how it used to be when you got your bank statement in the mail. And that's when you really looked at all the transactions because that's about the only way you could see them all together. Now we often look at that in real time. And I've actually had some debtors tell me. Uh, basically, that they don't have access to bank statements or credit card statements. <laughs> but, well, no, you do. You just you might have to go and get them a different way, or you might have to go back to your online account and print them off. But uh, they're out there. They still exist, even if you don't look at them uh, normally. Um, so let's talk a, a minute about what this might look like in the context of either precious metals or cryptocurrency. Um so precious metals are really the opposite of digital money. However, uh, how someone gets their precious metals can, especially nowadays, uh, be either online or over the telephone. Uh, I think we've probably all seen the commercials where you have a celebrity spokesperson that comes <laughs> on and tells you you need to buy gold to hedge against inflation. Well, if you call that number, you uh, pay them uh regular currency and they'll ship you gold or silver or whatever. Um, so if you do that uh, via telephone or online and pay out of your bank account or with credit card, there's going to be a record of uh, payment going to Roslyn Capital, whoever. Um, so that's something that we can look at as we're trying to collect on somebody is uh, have there been any transactions uh, with respect to precious metals and, you know, uh, seizing precious metals is not all that easy, but and a lot of times people will say, well, I got rid of them. All right, well, how'd you do that? Show us some proof that you don't have uh, this uh, bullion that you purchased. Um, and the other way that people uh, 
you know, there's online services that people can do this with, and that creates even more of a paper trail than uh, ordering the precious metals on the phone. But there are dozens of companies out there that will sell you gold and silver online. You can buy coins on eBay. Uh, you can buy coins uh, in a variety of different ways, Craigslist, things like that. Um, obviously, if you're doing an in-person transaction, if you go to a jewelry store or a coin shop that sells bullion and you hand them cash, there's probably not going to be a paper trail of that. Um, but if someone has taken advantage of the convenience of either online or telephone, then we now have a digital record associated with uh, physical asset of some value. And that's something we can uh, look at. Um the other thing that uh, I think is becoming more and more prevalent across the board is cryptocurrency. So, uh, you know, five, ten years ago, I don't think this was on a whole lot of people's radar. I know a lot of us wish that it had been uh, nowadays. But, uh, you know, people are, uh, even if they weren't in early on cryptocurrency, uh, a lot of people are including various types of cryptocurrency as part of their investment portfolio. Um and the trick with executing on it, I think, is first knowing where it is. You've got to know whether somebody uh, has this cryptocurrency in an online account, which I think is much more common uh, to store the cryptocurrency online. There are some ways, uh, especially for more sophisticated folks, to store cryptocurrency in a what's called a physical uh, like wallet that you store these things, this stuff in. Um, that's a lot more difficult to deal with. But... If you've got someone who uh, is purchasing uh, cryptocurrency, so that can be Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, there's the two most common ones, I think, or the largest ones, um, on either Coinbase or Kraken or uh, Cash App, I think is a way you can do it. You can do it through PayPal now. There's all sorts of different ways to do it. So uh, whereas historically, we may not have asked somebody for their records associated with their PayPal account. I think nowadays, uh, because of the fact people are potentially converting money into cryptocurrency, um, you've got to ask these questions and take a look at all these different accounts. And you know, one of the benefits of cryptocurrency uh, for a lot of people is uh, in the name. It's cryptocurrency. It's kind of it's hidden. It's this thing that uh, isn't so mainstream. But if you're using one of these mainstream services to acquire your cryptocurrency, like your bank account, then uh, it kind of uh, it, it creates this paper trail that somebody can use to figure out what assets are really out there. And uh, that's something that we'll do. Um, a question that I think is an open question uh, is, can we get an order from a court that freezes someone's cryptocurrency wallet? So if you've got a bank account at Wells Fargo, we can get a court order that freezes that account or the sheriff's deputy will freeze that account uh, whenever they're trying to execute uh, on a writ, um, it, there's this kind of divide as to whether, and I think it's more of a divide, it's a dispute, uh, as to whether uh, these cryptocurrency exchanges uh, are banks or not, and whether any assets that are in these accounts are subject to levy. Um, so I think we're going to see that area continue to develop. But the bottom line is anybody that is attempting to collect uh, and they encounter a debtor that says, I don't have any money, needs to at least take a look and make sure that shortly before you got your judgment, there aren't a bunch of transactions dealing with uh, various types of cryptocurrency. 
That's pretty helpful. So, Ian, let me ask you a question um, on the cryptocurrency, right? If Does that show up on a tax return at all? Was so, it? Well, uh, that sort of gives you the classic lawyer answer of it depends. Um, I think uh, it will show up if you are buying your cryptocurrency through a business. I know Coinbase uh, will always issue a 1099 if there's a business associated with the transaction. But what a lot of people do with their cryptocurrency, as far as I understand, is instead of uh, cashing out, they'll convert it from, say, Bitcoin to Ethereum or vice versa, or you know, can create some kind of conversion where um, you're transferring your one cryptocurrency into another. And my understanding, and I'm not a tax lawyer or an accountant, but I don't think that creates a taxable event, or at least the exchanges don't treat that as a taxable event. Um, so that's what a lot of people are doing to withdraw their money is they might have had some gains on Bitcoin and they pick another uh, newer cryptocurrency that they want to invest in. So they uh, reinvest those gains from Bitcoin into the new thing. And uh, I think that's a way to, to avoid some taxes. So yeah. I'm not sure that it's always going to show up on a return. Yeah. And that's something that uh, we are working on trying to make sure that we are uh, – up to date on because there are, as Ian said, there are a lot of folks that just aren't dealing with that at all, right? It's not on the radar, and it's something that it should be because there, there's a lot of transactions in that um, in that in that market. So let's let's turn our topic to just a moment. Like, what about if there's an interest in a business, right? So if let's just say you've got an individual debtor, somebody who owes you money, and they own or have an interest in company or companies, right? An LLC or, you know, an Inc. or some people say, well, I've got an you know, interest in a sub S corporation. That's just a regular corporation um, or partnership, right? How do you, can you use those assets to help satisfy uh, the, the judgment? The answer is yes. Um, and again, depends on how they own it. Right. And so I know a lot of times we've, we've dealt with people and they'll, you know, they'll shut down a company but and we have a judgment against the individuals as well, but they have interest or uh, ownership interest in other businesses. And they go, well, you know, you can't touch me, right? And I go, well, actually we can. So, for example, if those businesses or partnerships, whatever entity that is, they have an interest in it, if they're kicking off dividends or distributions, there are ways to go about um, locking that up or prohibiting the company from issuing it to the judgment debtor. Now, say that judgment debtor owns 100% interest in that company. They can certainly get a salary, right? Um, and that's fine. Uh, you can't touch that coming out of the company. But they're probably, the individual is probably not going to, if they're, if they're kicking off a lot of money or the business is kicking off a lot of money, they're going to want to take a dividend or distribution before long. And if you have a court order that says you can't, then... You got them, right? Or it says if it does, then you need to pay it towards us. Uh, so that messes them up a little bit. Uh, the other thing is, what is the ownership interest worth, right? Let's just say that your debtor owns 100% of, you know, ABC business, ABC comma Inc. or ABC comma LLC. Can you grab that interest? There are ways to do that. There's some case law that says, you, you, you know, you can or you can't. Uh, there's some each, but it depends on how you do it. Uh, so there are ways to step in and um to take the interest right um and and or you know, we've done this right we've threatened to say you know what 
we're going to, we're going to take the interest. I go, that's fine. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll still, I'm going to, you know, make a hundred thousand dollars as, you know, the president or whatever. Well, that's fine. But when we vote, we're going to vote and we're going to fire you. Um, and you're out. Um, and so when you have that conversation, they go, huh. Um, and sometimes that works, right? Uh, other times you have to keep pushing and keep pressing, keep looking at those business entities and figure out how to, to figure out what they're doing and then how to use that and use that as leverage. Um, people sometimes love to take the position, especially in bankruptcy, that an LLC in which they have an interest in, right? It, it's just worth, it's not worth anything. It's zero, right? Uh, but the company has substantial assets. So every situation like that, you've got to look at a little bit deeper um, to to press and try to figure out. It's, it's not a one answer for for all situations, uh, but you have to look at it and see how do you, how can I use that for leverage uh, to get this satisfied. You should always explore and analyze uh, what their interest in the business might be worth, and then how to obtain control of it. Like for example, a lot of times we'll ask, "Hey, have you had have you gone to borrow money recently, right? Or do you have a line of credit?" Because they'll have to go to the bank and they'll say what it's worth. Oh, what do you think they're going to say? They're going to say it's zero? No. They're going to say it's worth a lot of money, right? And so, well, there you go. That's the side effect of saying uh, it's zero. No, actually, you said uh, a year ago that it was worth, you know, X. So you, you can use that against them. Um, one of the best tools that we like to use for successful uh, collect, judgment collection is a, what's called a supplemental exam. And that's where you get to, it's a court order that the debtor has to sh- has to come into court, answer questions, and, and it's under oath. It's sworn testimony. They have to tell the truth, and they can't use um, excuses of, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to answer that because it violates some rule. It doesn't work. Uh, you have to, an- they have to answer the questions about their assets. And if they don't, then the court will order them to do that. If they don't answer it, then they could be held in contempt. Um, we also ask them to produce financial records. And the reason we do that is a lot of times we, we will go through those records to make sure we understand what it is. And a lot of times what, what we're asking for, and I'm not going to say it on this, uh, on the podcast, because in case the debtor's listening, I don't want to give them the, the secrets. But a lot of times what we ask for um, will open up doors of opportunities to look for assets at other places. And it's awesome, right? And the debtor can't avoid it. And if they, and this happens quite often, and Ian, you've, you've been there, and this is not what we like to have happen, but a lot of times we'll, we'll serve the order for uh, the supplemental exam, and the debtors are like, hmm, I'm not going. I'm not going to show up for that. So they don't. Well, that's a court order. And then when a judge tells you to show up for a hearing, you need to show up. It's just like a summons, right? You have to show up. Um, then there's a, a after that, if, they, if you don't show up, then there's a, a hearing as to why you should not be held in contempt um, if you didn't show up. So eventually, a lot of times there are arrest orders that are issued because they, at this point, the debtor has said, I'm not going to participate in this. And they basically told the judge, uh, heck with you, I'm not going to do it. Well, judges don't appreciate that. And as they shouldn't, right? If the judge tells you to do it, you got to do it. Uh, and then I swear, inevitably, it seems like it's a Thursday or Friday late afternoon when they get picked up because they're calling us. Their family members are calling us going, so-and-so's locked up, and you know, for, and we don't know why. Well, uh, I'm not real sure why either, but I, if this has to do with this case, then it's probably because they have failed to appear, right? 
And a lot of times the orders now, the judges and the courts have said, you know, here's a way they can purge themselves to get out of jail. But it takes some time. It's not a not 30 minutes, not an hour. I mean, but the reason I said it is it always we don't want to see people get locked up. People have families, responsibilities, and that kind of stuff. But that's an issue, right? It, but it really is amazing when that happens, how many people how, it gets people's attention, which is sad, but that's how it happens, right? Um, but where do you look for assets? How how do you execute on it? That's having that as a background is a huge help, right? And sometimes people are absolutely broke, right? And they they just are broke, and there's nothing you can do. And I tell people and our clients if if the judgment debtor has money, if they're working, if they have assets, I can probably find it. If they're just broke, there ain't a thing I can do about it. And you know, as much as we want to, we just can't make. I mean, some I, there's two people that I'm I've been chasing for about four, three or four years for a client. And y'all, I'm telling you, if they earn thirty thousand dollars in a year, they spend thirty one, and they're living off their kids. They are. Um, I, I won't say this on a podcast, but it is a sad, sad story because they're living off their family, and they're doing it intentionally so they don't have to pay people. And it is sad. But I mean, they just—they're broke, right? They don't have a thing. Um, and I, there's nothing I can do about it. Every now and then we'll pull it back out, dust it off, bring them in, ask questions and try to figure out if they're making money. Right. Um, sometimes people will just work on hiding assets. Um, and that's why you really need to hire an attorney who understands, uh, the judgment process, the collection process, uh, and where to look and what questions to ask. Um, cause it really does make a difference, right? I don't do, we don't do real estate closings and there are lawyers that are are awesome at that, right? Um, you wouldn't want to hire them probably to collect the judgment necessarily. Um, but so go to people who have experience with, and there are a lot of folks around the state that do. Um, but it's it's something that we enjoy doing. It's fun, but it's I'm telling you, it is a game, and you have to stay you have to stay vigilant on it, right? I mean, because um, you you eventually push them in a corner, and hopefully the money squeezes out and pops out. So. Hopefully that helps to try to understand how a supplemental exam works. Um, so, Ian, what is the what's the Uniform Voidable Transaction Act? How does that how does that apply? So uh, it's a it's a helpful tool we have that the legislature has created, and a lot of times it's something we look at after we conducted a supplemental exam, or sometimes the actions of the debtor are so obvious that we don't even need a supplemental exam to know that this act may apply. But I think the the most common scenario historically has been well, we've got a judgment against uh, ABC Corporation uh, for X amount of dollars, and somebody at ABC Corporation thinks they're going to be crafty, and they go down to the Secretary of State and create ABCD Corporation <laughs> and transfer all of ABC stuff to ABCD, and then they think, all right, well, my problem's solved now. Well, thankfully, the legislature has said, no, it's not. Um, so I think this also uh, is going to be applied more and more with cryptocurrency, precious metals, and things like that, where somebody is converting assets from something that is uh, easily accessible uh, you know, in their bank account. Uh, maybe they'll create a cryptocurrency account in somebody else's name that they have control over or in a business name or what have you. And uh, suddenly all their cash is transferred into cryptocurrency. I think the Voidable Transactions Act can be helpful because it says 
a transfer made or obligation incurred by a debtor is voidable as to a creditor whose claim arose before the transfer was made or the obligation was incurred if the debtor made the transfer or incurred the obligation without receiving a reasonably equivalent value in exchange for the transfer or obligation and the debtor was insolvent at that time or the debtor became insolvent as a result of the transfer or obligation. So basically, if you've got $100,000 in ABC uh, Corporation's account and you just give that money to ABCD Corporation and that wipes out ABC, but now ABCD has all the assets and ABCD didn't give anything in exchange for those assets, that is likely avoidable transaction. Um, so, you know, there's timing issues that we have to look at and then we have to get, really get into, well, did did any uh, consideration really flow for the transfer of these assets or not? Um, we've got several cases right now where we're looking at these issues because uh, people, especially if they've been down this road a couple of times, they uh, will try their best to find a way to protect assets. And there are some lawyers out there who, uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this, but they're in the business of trying to help people appropriately structure transactions to protect assets whenever there's a creditor on the hunt. Um, so, you know, uh, you just have to be mindful of the Voidable Transactions Act whenever you have a situation where somebody had money and now they don't, and it's the figuring out the why uh, that's important and can, can potentially uh, avoid the transaction. Um, and I think that's only going to become more and more commonplace uh, as these digital currencies become more prevalent. Um, so we hope today has been helpful and that you've uh, learned a little bit about some of the things that you need to be thinking about as uh, you're trying to collect on judgments uh, in the new world that uh, we live in. And if we can answer any questions about uh, how any of this stuff works in practice or might apply to your situation, we'd be more than happy to set up time to talk with you.